This is Daniel Gallardo, and you're listening to the Tenkara Cast, a podcast about the simple Japanese method of fly fishing, Tenkara. In the Tenkara Cast, we'll be sharing information on techniques, history, philosophy, and Tenkara stories from anglers all over the world. This podcast is brought to you by Tenkara Yosei, introducing Tenkara outside of Japan since 2009. It's only possible we create content such as this podcast and videos because of your support. So we thank you so very much for purchasing Tenkara Yosei rods, lines, and flies. I hope you enjoy learning more about the simple method of fly fishing. Hey everyone, the Tenkara cast is back. My apologies for the long absence. Uh, no good excuses. I've just been a little bit out of it. I uh, took a little break. Uh, you know, the book came out and I felt like the... There's a little bit of weight off of my shoulder, kind of started promo- working on promoting that, uh, doing other stuff as well, uh, and thinking about what to do uh, with a podcast going forward. I mean, there's always topics to discuss. Um, there's definitely no shortage of that, but, you know, I kind of wanted to change things up a little bit. When I started the Tenkara cast, I was kind of envisioning have a little bit more of a storytelling flair with the cool edits and that kind of thing, but that turned out to be tough to do. I did a few episodes on that, um, had some help as well, but, you know, it's, it was hard to keep up, so I kind of started doing a little bit more kind of uh, uh, monologues, if you will, and that's all good, but, you know, I think going forward, it will be fun to have more people on board, and I've had a few people asking me, when is the podcast going to come back online, and I've been saying, like, well, pretty soon. Um, and I had a really good suggestion from Mike Agneta from Trages uh, not too long ago where he said that uh, you'll be fun to have a series of podcast episodes where I talk with guides in our Tenkara Guide Network about the waters uh, where they take clients. And I thought it was a great idea. Uh, I had done a couple of podcast episodes uh, that I called Destinations, um, talk to John Gear, talk to Vito Rubino about uh, their waters and you know where they are. Um, so it's just kind of expanding on that, talking to guides about the waters where they are located uh, that tend to be Tenkara perfect, you know, good waters for Tenkara. So now we're here June 14th. It's been a couple months since I've released an episode. And just today I talked to Mike Warren from Trout Buddy. He's a guide in a driftless region where I was fishing not too long ago. And we are going to give you a little bit of an introduction to this area. So uh, stay tuned for future episodes about different areas. If you have any suggestions for future podcast episodes, we'd love to hear them. Uh, just drop us a line, you know, email info.tenkarausa.com, via Facebook uh, or Instagram or however you want to get a hold of us and share some suggestions that'd be great and you can always go to tenkariosa.com forward slash podcast to drop us a note a comment to see more resources about um, uh, the episodes in particular that we discuss and if i can take a quick second to ask for a review that would be greatly appreciated Uh, a listener um, if you go to you know itunes on your phone uh, or online and just type a quick review that really helps people find this podcast um, and another little plug here the Tenkara book as most of you are probably aware now 
is out. Uh, the book has been out for a couple months now, uh, and it's going really well. We're just about to go into our second print, uh, just about down with a batch that we printed first time. Uh, so I'm excited about that. Uh, feedback has been really good. If you already have a book, give us a review on Amazon. Uh, that's the best way for that people have been finding the book, I think, uh, or on our website as well, tenkariose.com. All right, so we have Mike Warren with us online here, and today we're going to be talking a little bit about a uh, new-to-me area, the Driftless region of Wisconsin, which I had the pleasure of fishing with Mike recently. And Mike is a Tenkara guide. He's been taking a lot of people out in the water there uh, with a Tenkara rod. And Mike, um, why don't you tell me uh, about the fishing in your area? Introduce it uh, to our listeners a little bit. Well, if uh, people aren't familiar with what the Driftless area is all about, it's a, uh, it's, a uh, it's an area that's about maybe 125, 130 miles tall and maybe about 50 or 60 miles wide that encompasses southwestern Wisconsin, a little portion of Iowa, uh, northeastern Iowa, and southeastern Minnesota. Uh, the epicenter of the fly fishing and trout fishing and in this case, Tenkara fishing, is uh, a county that is referred to as Vernon County, with uh, Viroqua being the uh, kind of the kind of the magic uh, magic center. Um, the uh, fishing this year has been incredibly good. Uh, I hear from a lot of people that compare us to some of the other more famous parts of the country, and that's great. I I love to hear that. So. Um, we fish mainly uh, native uh, brown trout, uh, brook trout. There's the occasional stocked rainbow that escaped from a pond someplace, and there is a very scarce amount of, uh, of tiger trout as well. Uh, and I haven't seen one in a couple three years. So, um, you know, it's a uh, uh, but it's a great fishery with a lot a lot of water. Yeah, I was amazed. Uh, you know, I've been hearing about the Driftless for years. As a matter of fact, one of our suppliers is in Wisconsin. And uh, the uh, back in the day when we started working with them, he sent me this DVD, you know, about fishing in the Driftless region. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Um, it was a very... Part of the Driftless. Exactly, Heart of the Driftless, and I'll look up a link, see if I can put that on uh, com forward slash podcast for our listeners. Uh, but that was my first introduction to the Driftless, and so I had this idea, and I've been meaning to go there for years, um, and I finally got a, an excuse to go when um, uh, Matt's man put the uh, the event together, the Midwest Tenkata Fest, which he's been doing for like three years. Uh, so I got to go there and fish for a couple of days. Um, you know, we did have a lot of rain, so we couldn't fish every day the way I wanted. Um, but I was absolutely amazed because, you know, the, the impression that I had was going to be, you know, more like very, very narrow, meadowy kind of streams. But, you know, the first stream that we fished, which shall remain, rena- remain unnamed, um, you know, it was, a very, it was very much a very diverse kind of stream where it went from a mountain stream look into like a spring creek kind of like, you know, slow meadow, meandering meadow stream. And then it went to like more of a tri- typical spring creek um, 
kind of look to it all within, you know, a couple of miles. Uh, so I was absolutely amazed by that beautiful crystal clear water as well. Yep. So the diversity of water, because then you and I fished in a stream that was completely different a couple of days later. Um, but that's something that I loved and the diversity of water and also the access. Um, right. Is that something that really attracts a lot of people out there? Yep. Uh, one of the things that I was out with a client yesterday and we got talking about uh, about one stretch of stream that we fished that was maybe 500 yards long. And there were numerous little fast runs through it. There were uh, some really nice pools that were maybe 50 to 60 feet long. Uh, and then, and then we, as the further, uh, the further we worked through the stream, we actually found some holes that were, that were maybe six to 10 feet deep. Uh, so if somebody wants to fish deep water with weight, they can fish deep water with weight. If they want to fish, uh, uh, you know, fast running water, we've got plenty of that. The beauty of what they've done here in Wisconsin though, is that the state has done a phenomenal job in working with the landowners. Uh, and I think you and I talked about this a little bit when you were here, but they have a, uh, a program where they uh, lease uh, a lot of land from the landowners in exchange for stream improvements. And, and uh, uh, the, the farmers and the, and the landowners have really worked really well with the state so that there's a lot of public access and it's well marked uh pretty well marked and it's getting better all the time and uh somebody can come here i always would suggest they come and hire a guide so they know exactly where to go but uh but you know uh i think that with some of the maps that are out there People will be able to see that there's really, you know, three, four, five hundred miles worth of streams within maybe a 50-mile radius of Iroquois that they could come fish and and not have to go knock on doors. Yeah, that was something that was very interesting. I mean, on and you had a good point about hiring a guide. What I found was interesting was that there's tons of access, and I did see a sign. I wish I had taken a photo of it talking about um, it was like a stream access place i mean it looked like private property but there's little signs in one stream that i fished on my way out of town um that clearly indicated there was a stream access kind of a place open to the public um i'll make a point of taking a couple of pictures for you and send them to you oh that'd be cool yeah i'll be uh, happy to put that on the on the post uh but then the other thing too that was interesting um there was you know you mentioned like 500 miles of streams and that's very true but what I noticed in a couple of streams that I drove by is that it seems like the stream was very hidden uh, by either trees or very tall grass. Uh, some of them were clearly visible, but like actually the one that you took us uh, fishing, I think it would have been a little bit tricky to kind of identify where the water was, um, you know, if, especially if the grass was any taller because uh, right by the bridge, it kind of seemed to cover the water a little bit so it's like these places where you're looking in the distance and it looks like a grassland uh, but then when you're on top of it and of course if you have a gps you might see a little blue line but i think that's a cool thing about having a, a guide out there uh, somebody who knows the area you have all these hidden kind of streams right and you know it's interesting because uh, because you know we talked about the diversification of the of the uh, streams that we have it's you know I, 
one of the things I like about guiding here is that if I have an elderly couple, for example, uh, call and, and, and want to go fish, maybe they want to go fish in, in a more open space, so, you know, pasture lands and such, where the grass might not be real high, some of the, uh, you know, might not be real difficult to navigate uh, fish from the banks quite a bit. And then when we get that really experienced guy that wants to come out and go to those hidden spots, you know, we've got a lot of those too that maybe he has to, you know, be a little bit more creative with his with his casting and a, and a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more Rambo in him, as so to speak, to uh, get in and out of the streams. But for the most part, um, we can find a spot for anybody. Absolutely. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. There's even a few stretches of creek uh, in a couple of the towns where, where a, streak, uh, a stream will go through that have handicap access. So, uh, and I don't know if we, uh, actually, uh, where Tenkara Fest was in Coon Valley, there's multiple handicap accesses right there in Coon Creek. So, uh, so there's a lot of good stuff going on, and and uh, you know we're uh, we're pretty proud of uh, what we have here, and, and uh, the word is definitely out that, uh, and we're seeing a lot more visitors, and and you know going on to the business side of things in a way, the economic impact not just for me as a guide, but the hotels, the restaurants, and such that you saw in the Viroqua, Westby, Coon Valley area has really been big. Yeah, no, it was a terrific area to go to, and uh, yeah, I could see the access. I mean, it's something I think the uh, you know the local government and the people realize that it brings in uh, tourists. You know, kind of uh, you know I think somebody made a mention that without fly fishing, you know, that region wouldn't have a whole lot of an economy. You know, so it's something that uh, luckily they're not. You know, the local government is not taking for granted. You know, the you know, and the local businesses. I'm sure. You know, they're not taking that for granted. They're valuing it, realizing how valuable that kind of resource is. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And the, uh, and, I for, and I forgot to, <laughs> I need to edit a little bit. Sorry, Daniel. No worries. No worries. Yeah. I've seen that happening even on, uh, like, uh, I think I saw, like, a live show on BBC uh, a little while ago and the phone went off. I was like, okay. <laughs> no worries. This is casual. <laughs> um uh, but uh, yeah, although the, I've got to wonder if there was maybe a client you know wanted to book a trip with Mike Warren actually, <laughs> on the uh, trip actually, list. Uh, you know, I could tell you it was, but it wasn't. It was a friend of mine, and I'm sure <laughs> he was calling, calling to find out when I'd take him fishing for free. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure this is a good time of year to uh, to fish. Let's talk a little bit about seasons. I mean, I was there. What has it been a month already? Uh, yes. Close to a month, I guess. Um, yeah, and that was. Beautiful, uh, but tell us what are the good times of year to go there? Well, you know, uh, I tell people that we can fish, we can fish almost year round here. Uh, it takes it takes some uh, it takes some ingenuity in certain months, but our our season we have two seasons. We have a uh, we have a uh, what we refer to as winter catch and release artificial only season that affects every creek that we have. Uh, that starts actually the first Saturday in January. Uh, so, you know, people think about Wisconsin fish fly fishing in January. That's, you know, that's, that's testy, uh, especially with some of the weather that we get here. We're snow covered, uh, 
but the, st the streams are all spring-fed, and uh, they end up running fairly cold, uh, you know, January, February. About the time we get into mid-March, we start seeing a little bit more activity, and, uh, and I'll start guiding people about the beginning of March, middle of March, depending on weather. Uh, snow cover usually leaves. We don't have a problem, though, with snow cover like you do in the mountains of Colorado, uh, because our snow cover uh, doesn't, we don't have a runoff period. Uh, it just lasts for a couple days, and, and things, it's like having a rainstorm. Uh, the, uh, so I always think of it like this, is that the day you pay your taxes, about April 15th is when things really get going, and then our regular season starts the beginning of May, the first Saturday in May. The only difference then is, is that there are some streams that allow uh, live bait and some streams that will allow uh, for people to keep, uh, keep fish. Um, so we go through the summer. May is exceptionally good. Late April is good. Uh, I say all the way to Father's Day, so about now. Then we start heating up a little bit. The weed growth comes up quite a bit. The stream banks will get a little bit more cover. Uh, Got to be a little bit more creative fishing in July and August. We have a great hopper season in uh, last week of uh, July, usually through the middle of August. That's a lot of fun. And then uh, about Labor Day, uh, things all start to cool off a little bit. And uh, uh, water is super all the way through the closure of our trout season here being October 15th. Uh, so... We're really almost a year-round fishery, with the hot spots being April and May, June, and then a little deeper into the season, September, October. But don't ignore the July, August, because we can still go get fish because of those stream, those uh, spring-fed uh, waters. They'll stay. Uh, if we get up in the headwaters a little bit, you're still going to find some sub-60 degree water. Uh, and uh, and very fishable. And is the majority of the, the 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 water there? Is it spring creeks or how? What are the water sources? Uh, the water source is coming out of the ground. It's all spring-fed creeks. Uh, the uh, and then of course there's that's what starts things off. And then and it and it's I always refer to our creeks here, just like the uh, veins and the you know leaf that there's. Several main waterways uh, that, or, or watersheds, let's say, that multiple creeks will feed into, and feeding into those creeks are multiple brooks. So, or, or, uh, or, so those are all spring-fed, and and uh, they all kind of converge into one another, and and eventually all of them become rivers and feed into the Mississippi River. So if somebody wants to, I was out on Saturday morning, literally fishing a creek that I could straddle. You would have loved it. And, uh, and but then I also went a mile down the road and I was fishing in in water that was 40 feet wide. So so extremely diverse. But the all being spring fed through these limestone through the limestone bluffs that surround this area, uh, nutrients are super highly concentrated, and uh, uh, our uh, fish populations are, there's certain creeks that they are talking about, 
they're talking about three to five thousand fish per mile. Uh, uh, but with the size of our streams, that's pretty concentrated. Uh, so uh, those are Montana, Wyoming kind of numbers. So yeah, no, I saw an abundance of uh, the tra uh, trout, in the, especially in the first stream that we fished, which was uh, the day we got there, the water was crystal clear. Right. Uh, and then, like, after that, it started raining, but we just saw a lot of fish. It was a big concentration. And talking about fish, let's talk about that for a second. Um are we looking at all trout in the Driftless region? You know, uh, technically, uh, you know, I am a trout guy. But uh, when we start getting into uh, uh, other portions of the Driftless, keeping in mind that the Mississippi River goes flowing right through the Driftless area. Uh, but when you get into uh, the upper reaches of the Wisconsin River, uh, the Bad Axe River, the, the uh, Kickapoo River, you can start seeing some concentrations of smallmouth bass. Uh, you can see a lot of panfish, uh, which I've found on Tintara equipment can be a lot of fun to catch. Uh, and, and so if somebody wants a little bit of diversity, uh, especially in the southern portion of the uh, Driftless area, uh, uh, smallmouth has been very, very, uh, becoming very popular to go fish with Tintara. So the... Uh, I think one of the greatest things about our area here, though, is trout and the population, the diversity of streams, and uh, and it's, it's really a it's a trout guys. Uh, it, it's a dream spot for a lot of trout guys. Yeah, and part of the reason I was curious about the fish was because uh, you know after the um, Midwest and Cutter Fest was done, I went to Green Bay, Wisconsin, to visit a friend. It was a three-hour drive. Right. Um, in about maybe 40 minutes to an hour um, east, I think I was still technically in the Driftless region, uh, and I stopped to take a little break, and I saw this wider, much wider river, like maybe 60 feet wide, and it looked very deep. The water was kind of dark, like more of mm -hmm. a tannin kind of color, and I stopped to fish for a little bit, and I started fishing. I First of all, it was a very large river without a lot of structure, you know, so I was like, yep. okay, how do I fish this but then after you know like fishing for i don't know 15 minutes not really seeing any signs of fish then i realized that yes i've heard that wisconsin has a large number of species you know and i had no idea what i was fishing for <laughs> you know i didn't know if it could have been bass in the water i didn't know if it could have even been pike you know which i think you guys have in wisconsin yeah, as well Yes. Uh, so I just decided to stop fishing because I only because I had no idea what kind of fish there were in there. If I knew, I could change my tactics a little bit, perhaps. But uh, yeah. I'm yeah. There's a, there's a you know the opportunities you could have uh, you could have spent a week fishing between here and Green Bay. Oh, uh, totally. I could see that. Trout, you could have fished for smallmouth and largemouth, and you could have found Pike rivers. Uh, and uh, and uh, even uh, water big enough for walleye, and uh, I mean, uh, I, I could sit here and rattle off tr uh, different uh, types of fish all day long with what we have here in Wisconsin. Yeah, and it, I'm guessing they're also kind of like all intertwined because like not af not long after the large river, um, you know, I started craving another break, and I found a little blue line on my GPS. You know, I was yep. getting directions. Um, and I stopped, and that's the place where I saw the sign saying that there was public fishing access. Uh, and it was a very tiny uh, creek, you know, maybe 15 feet wide. 
crystal clear water. I mean, it was like gin clear. Um, and I caught a couple of little trout, a couple of brookie trouts. Um, actually, one was a brookie, but the other one was a brown that I caught. And I only fished for probably 15 minutes. Um, and it was a little strange because it was actually right in between uh, a couple of houses. Like yeah. in one particular spot, it literally looked like I was in somebody's almost a front yard. It was actually kind of manicured. Um, right. But the stream was between me and their house. Um, uh, but, you know, I just fished for a little bit. And I tell you what, you see that all over the state. Even, even uh, uh, I have actually fished uh, the uh, Milwaukee River. Uh, with my nephew. Uh, he only lives a few blocks from the Milwaukee River. We've gone down there and fished for smallmouth. Uh, uh, and it's in the middle of a big metro area. Uh, so uh, I, think we're pretty, I, I think we're about as diverse as it's going to get. We just, you know, we don't have any salt water here, of course. But, uh, but uh, Well, but then there's the Great Lakes, which is kind of like fishing salt water. You know? exactly. It's, uh, exactly. It looked like an ocean. Right. <laughs> So, so we've got a lot. We've got a lot of stuff going on here, uh, you know. And and we're pretty. You know, one of the things I wanted to mention to you today was that you know access to us here. Uh, you, if I remember right, did you fly into Minneapolis, I believe? And uh, and and uh, you know, it's only about a two and a half to three hour drive down here from Minneapolis. Uh, the Lacrosse Airport has multiple flights every day. Madison has got multiple, obviously multiple flights, being our state capital every day, and uh, and Madison, you're within an hour of, uh, you're with, really within 20 minutes of some great trout fishing there, and within an hour to an hour and 20 minutes to Viroqua and having all the options there, so um, it's pretty easy to get here, um, and it's a, you know, there's a lot of other things to do here. I have a lot of clients that bring their spouses, and their spouse might not fish, but uh, with the, uh, uh, I think you saw that there's a relatively large Amish population here, and a lot mm -hmm. of yeah, I saw uh, the buggies on the yeah, road uh, early in the morning, especially. Yep. and you know, so there's a lot of uh, Amish shops. There's a, a, a growing uh, wine business, especially in Vernon County. Uh, lots of little wineries and, and vineyards and uh, some great places uh, for, for dining, too. So uh, we, can, we can take care of it. It doesn't just have to be the guy's trip. So. Yeah, it seems like the access is pretty good. I, uh, I actually flew into La Crosse. Uh, just did. I, didn't want, really I did, yeah. I didn't want to drive as much because we you know, had a, the event and I was doing some other stuff, too. But, um, yeah, Madison looked like another good option. Yep. And La Crosse itself is a cool town. I mean, it has tons of options in terms of places to stay. Uh, we were planning to camp the whole time that we were there. We camped the first night, uh, but then the rain was kind of relentless, uh, yeah. you know, on the first day of the event. So we just found a, you know, a pretty inexpensive uh, hotel room in uh, La Crosse. When I, have, uh, when I have clients come into La Crosse and stay here, uh, there is, there's hotels from the from in a very low budget range all the way up to four star you know, with great dining. There's a lot of bars and restaurants in La Crosse. It's a river town where there's a lot of shopping and a lot of parks and and uh, so there's plenty of things to do here other than fish. 
but there's so many miles of water here that you could fish for a long time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's what this show is all about, right? Is it yeah. <laughs> a podcast? <laughs> but yeah. yeah, it seems like there's a lot of uh, other ways to spend time as well. If people want to make a good you know, vacation out of it, um, I would imagine that uh, plenty of opportunities. But talking about, you know, like I feel like we talked about the some of the good stuff, but, you know, I mentioned this little stream that I was fishing and I caught a couple of brook trout. Uh, and at one point, you know, like I'm kind of starting to feel a little itch on my leg. This was a hot day, like actually the days that around the uh, Midwest fast was right. kind of a little chilly. So I had like, you know, full long sleeve shirts and jackets. Yep. Uh, the last day I was just in a t-shirt and shorts, I think. Uh, and I started feeling a little tickle in my leg and I looked down, it was a tick. Yeah. <laughs> I think we should probably talk a little bit about that just as a heads up for people. Um, so uh, I understand the tick situation there can be uh, kind of bad. Can you tell it, us a little bit be. about that? Uh, you know, the, uh, uh, I actually, uh, like I said, was out yesterday. I actually had two, uh, but, uh, the, uh, now, the biggest thing is, is that uh, first and foremost, if somebody wears uh, waist-high waders, they're great. Uh, even field or, uh, wading pants can, can help quite a bit. Um, I really recommend long-sleeve shirts. Uh, I also will give a plug to our friends that, uh, that make buffs. Uh, I highly recommend those. Uh, just to, uh, uh, for a lot of things right now, we're having a little bit of a gnat issue. If we're, if we're going to go down the road of some, uh, some, some of the not so great things here, we got gnats right now. And, and, uh, Oh, I saw a photo that you posted a few <laughs> days ago. I just saw that on Twitter. Uh, you put cotton ball on your ear to keep the yeah, gnats from coming I, in. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, but it, there's a little trick, you know, I take and spray down a cotton ball, stick it in my ear, and I never get my ears buzzed anymore. So, uh, the, uh, but also that it helps keep the, uh, keep the gnats from around my face. But yeah, none of this is to scare people away from the area. You know, I think exactly. I just want to make sure people are mindful. It's, uh, I mean, it was not that big a deal. I think a tick, you know, is more like an alert to me. I think I don't use much bug repellent, but I think that can help right. keep ticks away. But, the yeah, actually, long sleeves. Actually, the popular thing around here, and the shameful plug for a company that doesn't support me at all, but the, uh, there's a company out there called Buggins. Uh, it's a product called Buggins that is an all-natural product, and I know a lot of people out there don't want to use as many chemicals as what we used to. Uh, but this Buggins is awesome. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's uh, made out of uh, all uh, uh, herbal type product, and it is fantastic against uh, the gnats. And I'll spray down uh, my uh, sleeves quite a bit with that, and. And I think it helps a lot with the with ticks and such. You know, the biggest thing is is that you know when we get done fishing over the course of a day, just to make sure that we're not we're not carrying any ticks out with us, and uh, and go through proper removal process of a tick if you do have one. I don't think it's as uh, you know. Yesterday I had two, which was highly unusual. I have actually, as a guide gone through entire years without getting any yeah and it's not to blow it out of proportion i mean we have ticks everywhere you know in the yeah, country exactly. uh, it was just something yeah. that um yeah. i hit the area i think when the, when the rains kind of uh, brought them about or you know right. something like that and, and uh, we're still we've started to heat up quite a bit right now but the grass has still got a lot of moisture in it and there's a lot of bugs out there and ticks are just part of the bug deal so. do you know how to spell buggins by the way 
Uh, yeah, it's just just like it was sound. D U G I N S. Okay, cool. I'll look and, it up later. Uh, put a link as well. And, so I'll, you know, I'll the only uh, the only problem with Buggins is is that it smells like perfume, and you know your uh. your spouse might not like it when you come home with that. Well, it might be <laughs> might be better than smelling like you know strong deet and other stuff. <laughs> exactly. Uh, <laughs> but talking about bugs and buggins, <laughs> uh, talking about bugs, let's talk a little bit about flies. I mean, uh, you know, of course, our listeners probably know a little bit of the uh, the tenkara take of not switching flies and that kind of thing. But um, tell me, what do you uh, what do you think works good for flies there? If anything particularly different. You know, it's a uh, there's a uh, uh, there's a lot of things that work based on time of year. Of course, the traditional Western fly fishing person is going to be trying to match hatches. We have so many hatches that you'd have to probably have a full backpack. Uh, but I live on you know subsurface. Uh, uh, I live by my three S's, and that's the San Juan, the Scud. And the squirrel, uh, and uh, you saw what a pink squirrel is while you were here. And the pink squirrel is a is basically a nymph uh, that has a uh, looks a lot like a scud or, or a grub that uh, has a little pink top on it, and it's just one of those one of those bugs that's kind of that local bug. Um, and uh, uh, also on top, uh, a lot of folks. Uh, I, I find exceptional uh, performance every day with Alcaritatis, uh, BWOs. Uh, as we get deeper into the summer, we'll have fun with hoppers. Uh, and then um, uh, go-to fly for the last couple weeks around here has been a, uh, a killer bug. Uh, it's just been, uh, I hate to say it because it's a pun, but it's been killing it lately. Yeah, and I should mention, talking about bugs, too, I did remain, you know, with uh, the Tenkara approach, and I did try at least one or two of your flies, too, uh, to see if there was, if I could notice a big difference, and I'll report that I caught plenty of fish in the Tenkara flies. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and they, they worked well, I think. I, you know, I tried pretty much all the Tenkara flies. Oh, I got there a couple of the, one day before the event and I got a chance to fish with uh, Jason Randall who's a fly fishing author and I'll put a link to his books and also Ed Engel happened to be in the area uh, and Ed of course is known for imitating uh, bugs with very tiny flies you know that's kind right. of one of the things that he's known for and we fished the some of the stream uh, streams away from uh, Biroqua, not far away from Biroqua and they were matching the hatch, and I was using the Tenkata flies, and we were all catching plenty of fish, even though there was hatches going on as well. Right. Um, and I know they were a little bit skeptical. Um, when they first, you know, greeted me, I was fishing already, uh, and then they saw me, like, yeah, I tried that hole. What are you using? And I was like, well, this is just the fly I'm using, and I was catching, you know, uh, enough fish, uh, fish to keep me busy. Right. <laughs> so the Tenkata flies worked, and uh, when I was fishing with you too, like we we're fishing this very narrow uh, murkier kind of stream and I caught a fish here and there is not a particularly hot uh, day when we started it got a little bit more productive later in the day um, but then I kind of switched back and forth a little bit you know some different thing kind of flies some of your flies and it was about the same number of fish you know so I think uh, if you're if uh, our listeners are staying with one fly uh, I would imagine 
most of the year of work, at least in late May, you work just fine. Well, and I think I think that uh, with one fly fisherman, uh, traditional Tenkara fisher people, uh, I don't I don't see an issue with bringing your Tenkara only theory to Wisconsin any time of the year. Uh, our fish here are, you know, I, I refer to them every once in a while as chamber of commerce fish because they can be a little bit aggressive and and uh, but uh, the uh, uh, and I fish both ways and I'll fish a little bit of western every once in a while as well as we've talked about and the uh, uh, I am not a huge believer in the precise matching of the hatch especially when you have a hatch like yesterday when there was a when there was a huge uh, uh, amount of gnats in the air and they're coming out of the water and and to match a size 22 gnat and let a fish try to pick it out of the million that just came out of the water sometimes you got to throw them some you know some chunk of bacon in a way you know uh, and uh, and let them pick something else and we were very successful with lots of different flies so um, you know, it, 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 it helps to have experience and that's what having a guide with you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, talking about guides, of course, I'll put a link to Mike Warren's profile on tenkariosa.com forward slash podcast on the, if you go to that page, you'll find, uh, the driftless episode that, uh, you're listening to and you can look up Mike's information, his contact, but Mike, if somebody wants to look you up, how can they find you? Is there a Website, uh, Twitter, what do you want to share Web, with our website, listeners? Websites, Twitters, and phone numbers. Uh, uh, we like to, uh, I like to think of ourselves as a very friendly, non, uh, non, uh, uh, we don't like to, you know, give unwanted lessons around here. We'll help people with their fishing. So we call ourselves Trout Buddy, and it's at www.troutbuddy.com. Uh, the uh, uh, Twitter is, uh, is uh, Trout Buddy and uh, or Driftless Guides, and the uh, and they can always call me at 608-792-2521. Well, yeah. So uh, to our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed listening and learning a little bit more about a an area of the country that perhaps you were not aware of, uh, the Driftless. I actually talked to a couple of friends here in Colorado who fish a lot, and they were not familiar with it. So I was kind of a you know. I Sometimes we assume that all the good fishing areas are well-known, but uh, perhaps not all of them are. Uh, the Driftless is one that I think people should be aware of because it was just a lot of fun. And I'll, I'll post some photos and a couple little videos that I have. Uh, it's already on our blog, actually. If you go to tenkarose.com forward slash blog, you'll see a little trip report that I did. Um, but, yeah, hopefully uh, you guys look at uh, Wisconsin as a place to go vacation and the Driftless area is a place to, uh, to fly fish. It was fun. Oh, and before I forget, maybe I should ask you very quickly. Uh, you know, Wisconsin, I, uh, the, the famous thing there besides, of course, fishing is the cheese curds. Tell us about that. Is that something people should do when they're in Wisconsin? <laughs> well, <laughs> the uh, cheese curds are, uh, are uh, the, uh, are, they're not a delicacy here like they might be elsewhere, but uh, uh, we like our cheese curds uh, uh, straight out of the straight out of the vat, a little warm and a lot squeaky. And then uh, uh, the uh, of course uh, everything goes better if it's batter fried. And there's lots of batter fried cheese curds. 
And of course, you can't really have cheese curds, especially batter fried ones, without some local beers. So, um, uh, and we have plenty of those here too. So, what was the main beer? What was the main beer in town? I forget the name. It was the really the delicious. One here in Wisconsin comes from the New Glarus Brewing Company, called Spotted Cow. Yes, that was a really good beer. I enjoyed yeah. that with my deep fried cheese curds. <laughs> <laughs> and only sold here in Wisconsin. So when you drive here, take some home to your friends. Yeah, spotted cow and cheese curds. I enjoyed that very much. I brought some cheese curds back. <laughs> uh, it was fun. If you ever need some fresh ones, just give me a shot. I'll, I'll overnight them to you. <laughs> All right, I'll do. If I get addicted to it, it'll be your problem. <laughs> Yeah. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for introducing our listeners to uh, the Driftless region and for making time for uh, for us to have this episode. And I uh, appreciate it. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully we'll fish together again soon there. I uh, can't well, wait to come back. Thanks for having me. And maybe, you'll, maybe I'll come out your way and you can show me some Colorado water. Sounds good, Mike. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode with Mike Warren about the Driftless region of Wisconsin. I did notice that we didn't discuss equipment uh, to use in a driftless region for Tenkara, um, but I should say the probably the ideal rod uh, for that whole area is the Sato, uh, which goes up 12 feet 9 inches. Um, that's what I brought with me. Part of the reason that I decided to pack that with me for that trip is because it fit in my carry-on that I was taking uh, without any problem. So I take that, you know, in the airplane. Um, and the Ito, which tends to be my favorite rod, uh, just a little bit too long for my carry-on that time. And it turned out that the Sato was perfect because uh, the streams are not super wide, uh, at least the ones that we fished. As Mike mentioned, there are some bigger waters, but not very big anyways. So the Sato turned out to be good for that. And there were several situations where things got a little bit tight, and it was very handy to have this rod that was under 11 feet long. Uh, so that's kind of my recommendation for rods between in our lineup of Tenkari USA rods. In terms of lines, any line would do. Um, most of the time I was using a line just a little bit longer than a rod, but a line the same length as a rod would be just fine as well. The fish uh, in some areas were very spooky, uh, so a slightly longer tippet might be handy, like a five-foot tippet uh, will be handy, but most of it will come down to your to your approach you know just walk very slowly um, minimize the amount of movement that you're doing on the rod and that kind of thing so just a little note about the equipment and that kind of thing in case you were wondering thank you very much for listening to the Tenkara cast I'd like to extend a special thank you to Nick Ogawa also known as Takenobu check out his music at takenobumusic.com We'll be posting links to any references we made in this podcast, such as Takenobu's music, on our website, www.tenkarausa.com forward slash podcast. And until next time on the Tenkara Cast.